Morning, everybody. My name is Jacob Parnell, and I'm the preaching minister here at the Tri-Valley Church of Christ. Stand with me, please. And let us pray Jesus' Creed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Great. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. This is where we've been hanging out. This is what we said we were going to take with us into our lives, into our walks. I challenge you to pray this prayer when you wake up in the morning. Let this be the first thing that you say. And before you go to bed at night, let this be the last thing on your lips. And then throughout the day, as you think about it, I wanted you to pray this. And we talked about how this is easy to understand, but it's difficult to live out. We are not going to be able to do this completely, effectively, thoroughly without God's help. That's why this is a prayer and not just a personal pledge, or not just us trying our hardest, but this is God, do this through me. Make this as true as possible in my life. Uh, I'm going to give you some fair warning. At the end of this sermon this morning, about 20, 25 minutes from now, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and share with them some specific way that you think that Jesus might be calling you to upgrade your relationship with him. Some way that, some specific thing that you think he might be calling or challenging you to do. Maybe something that you've been thinking about doing that you haven't gotten around to doing or that you haven't worked up the courage to do just yet. Uh, that is coming. And I wanted to tell you that now because it's not something that we do very often, turning to somebody and interacting with them. But just because we don't do it very often doesn't mean that we shouldn't do it more often. And some people will hear that and go, oh, okay, cool. Some people will hear that and go, whatever. <laughs> whatever gets us to lunch. And some people will go, whoa, uh, I'm not comfortable with that. Uh, which is why I'm telling you now. And maybe throughout the course of this message, something will come to mind. Because right now you may say, I don't want to interact, I don't want to talk to somebody about this, I don't even know what I would say. Um, but hopefully by the time we get there, maybe the Spirit will put something in your mind. So, anyway, that's coming. And I'm not just doing this to, to change things or to, to touch you, push you, or to try to make you uncomfortable. Uh, I'm doing this because Jesus does this kind of thing a lot throughout his ministry. He calls people to a higher faithfulness. And in the Jesus Creed, we have an example of this. Jesus, like we talked about last week, took a familiar Jewish prayer called the Shema, and he added to it. He upped the stakes of it by adding, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's take a look at this. Go to Deuteronomy 6 with me. This is the Shema that we mentioned. This was the prayer that uh, Jewish people did and still do pray multiple times throughout the day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your heads. Write them on the door frames of your houses 
and on your gates. In other words, these are important commands. These things that I'm sending you off to the promised land with, I don't want you to forget them. I don't want you to just know them and then move on. I want you to interact with them. Keep them in front of you. Let them walk in front of you. Let them lead you as you follow them. This isn't just about me and God. This is something that involves the community. This was given to a community of people. This was the important thing that they were to hold on to. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Hold on to these commands. Take them seriously. Treat them as important. And you'll notice here that it says, love the Lord with your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus added something onto that, too. Your mind, too. All your thoughts, all the things that you think. And then he added the love your neighbor as yourself part. I was thinking about this this week, because last week we gave you these buttons. They say, love God, love neighbor, on them. Kind of like in the Shema. It's to be a reminder as you walk on the road, as you interact with people, as you try to remember to pray this twice and more throughout the day. And I wonder how it went for you. Having this button, having this reminder, going out and trying to remember to live out the Jesus Creed, to pray this as a prayer. I talked to some of you and said, hey, how's it been going? And some of you were real honest and said, I completely forgot that you asked us to do that. So I didn't interact with it at all, which is understandable. I talked to June Followell, and she, I don't even know if she's here, but she didn't give me permission to share this. Uh, so I hope it's okay, June, who may or may not be here. Um, she told me that she wore her button, and I saw her a couple times this week, and she had her button on her shirt. And she said, I was really hoping that people would ask me about it. I wanted people to say, hey, you know, what's that button about? And then I could say, oh, it's the Jesus Creed, and our church is doing this. But nobody did. Oh, there's June. Is it okay if I'm sharing this now, now that I have? <laughs> it's a good thing to share without permission, if you're going to share something without asking first. Uh, speaking of which, Joyce <laughs> told me via Facebook that it's something that she took with her, and it helped her feel closer to God. That's awesome. Uh, let me share some of these other photos that we got uh, via the Facebook community here. Somebody took it and stuck it on the strap of her purse so that she could remember throughout the day. Can you identify this person by their purse? Anybody? Does this person herself know who it is? Hold it up. LaVon, there it is, live and in person. She kept it with her. She was reminded to do this throughout her week. Here's a, a, a backpack. I almost said a man purse. I think it's the same thing. Uh, somebody put this button on there. Do you guys know who this is? Hey, it's Justin, yeah. It got promoted from the backpack strap to the shirt, I can see. That's awesome, good deal. Uh, here's another one, see if you can identify who this person is. They stuck it with, hey, the DTO button uh, from, from last year. And some other inspirational things on, looks like a chart in the office. Is this in the office place where you see every day? Whose office is this? How are you supposed to know, honestly? This isn't a fair game. It's Joyce. This is Joyce's button that she sent to her. This one's a lot easier. You'll get this next one. Who's that? <laughs> That's Tina. She lives in Las Vegas, and we didn't actually give her or send her a button, but somehow she got one via the magic of smartphones. So she's praying the Jesus Creed right along with us. I want to share with you my experience with this, and this is my immediate experience, because we introduced this last Sunday, and then Monday morning, 7 o'clock a.m., I'm at Pete's Coffee. I sometimes go to Pete's uh, early in the morning. It's early for me, by the way. And uh, I try to write my sermon. 
there. So I've got my button on. I'm like going to write a sermon about the Jesus Creed, and I'm standing in line at Pete's. It's kind of a long line, and there's a guy toward the front of the line who's already got his coffee, and he's sitting at a table. And he's there often, I've noticed. And he likes to chat people up who are helplessly standing in line. He wants to be Mr. Friendly. Hey, look at you. Where are you off to today, buddy? Kind of thing. And I'm in line going, ah, it's early. I don't want to interact with this guy. I'm feeling kind of grumpy, and I'm feeling kind of antisocial. So I'm getting closer, and I'm like, oh, I hope this guy doesn't talk to me. Oh, I hope I don't have to be friendly with this guy. And it very quickly dawns on me, Oh, that's right. I'm supposed to love my neighbor. So how am I doing so far? I'm not doing all that great. Uh, it made me realize that when this is out on your shirt, you can't hide from it. How am I going to interact with Mr. Friendly at Pete's Coffee? How am I going to interact with my barista? How am I going to act with somebody who inconveniences me and needs to interrupt my day so that I can help them with something? I'm kind of on the hook here. I've made this pledge. I'm, I'm living my life to try to love God with my whole heart. I'm loving my neighbors because that's what God calls me to do. How's it going to go if I go back to, oh, <laughs> we're not going to do that. It's more challenging. This interrupts your life. This impacts your life. And what I realized when I was in Pete's is that with the DTO chip, we had the, the little wooden chips that reminded us to do to others as you would have them do to you, another command of Jesus. And I took that with me. I kept it in my pocket throughout my day. So when I grab my phone or I grab my keys, I would feel it and I'd be reminded, oh, that's right. Let's be more Christ-like doing to others. But it's a different scene when it's not between you and God. When it's up here on your shirt, it's public. Everybody else gets to be involved as well. Jesus kind of takes the Shema out of your pocket and he puts it on your shirt. He challenges us to upgrade from a private faith to a more public faith. He pushes us out of the comfort of just me and God and our relationship, the two of us, we're doing great, and he invites us to include everybody. He changes it to us and God. He does this in the Shema, and he does this in some other places as well. That's what I want to share with you this morning. It's just three examples of Jesus upgrading somebody's personal level of faithfulness or their understanding of holiness. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and this is noticeable. When Jesus changes the Shema prayer, this would have been something that stood out to the Jewish people. Like I said, they prayed it multiple times. They knew it. When he adds on, oh, and love your neighbor as yourself, that would have piqued their attention. Wait a minute. That's different. That's not how we normally pray this prayer. It's like growing up, I was taught to recite the Pledge of Allegiance. You stand every morning, you'd look at the flag, and you'd say your pledge. That was, I learned that in like 1989, and I was in my daughter's classroom earlier this year at an assembly, uh, they did the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'm like, wow, it's exactly the same. But it would have been noticeable, and it would have been strange if at the end of the pledge they said, with liberty and justice and french fries for all. I would have said, wait a minute, that french fries part was not there when I was a kid. They changed something. Something is different, and it stood out. That's how the Jesus Creed would have sounded to Jewish people. All your heart soul, your mind, your mind, and your strength. Oh, and the second one, the second greatest commandment, right up there with the other one, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, okay. That would have stood out. But it wasn't anything new, because loving your neighbor was important in Judaism. It just wasn't necessarily reflected specifically in the Shema. But maybe it was implied. Maybe people were supposed to pick up 
on the fact that they should be loving their neighbor as yourself. After all, the Hebrew Bible is full of examples of God's heart for neighbors, for aliens, for strangers, for refugees, for widows, for orphans, for the poor. This was God's heart. If you want to love God, you're going to take care of these people. That, has, that wasn't a novel idea that Jesus was teaching. But maybe people weren't getting that. Maybe they were more here. It's about me and God. Oh, I'm loving him with my whole heart. Perhaps their love for their neighbor was just implied rather than something they were intentional about. Maybe people weren't quite picking up on that thing that should have been happening, though it wasn't explicitly stated. I mentioned the relationship seminar we had yesterday. That kind of brings up some, some different ways that you interact with the people that you're closest to in your life. You may relate to this. Have you ever had a fight in a relationship with somebody because of an unmet expectation? Some of that whole thing where you're supposed to be reading somebody else's mind. One person in the relationship says, how am I supposed to know what you want if you don't tell me what it is you want? Does this sound familiar to anybody? And then the other person comes along and says, well, I shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know what it is that I want. You should anticipate my needs. After all, we've been married for 15 years and we've been through four pregnancies together. Hypothetically speaking, of course. That's, that's typically how it goes in those conversations, I'm told. Jesus kind of comes at his hearers with this. I thought you would make that connection. I, maybe I didn't think I had to state that, but since you're not picking up on it, I'm going to go ahead and say it outright. You should love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and focusing on that part, the Shema, or the, the first part of the Jesus Creed, can keep us in our own little world. It can lock other people out. It's me and God. God loves me, and I love God, and it's great, and that's what I'm focusing on, that vertical relationship. But Jesus is great at coming along and saying, good, but what are you forgetting? Loving your neighbor. Loving others, that horizontal relationship that God calls us to as well. If you follow Jesus, if you take him seriously, if you study Jesus, this is going to happen a lot. This is something that he challenges people a lot. He points out blind spots and he reminds us of the things that we're missing. He's not going to leave them unspoken. Here's a second example of this. His disciples, they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us how to pray. We see you praying. You've got such a rich prayer life. Maybe they overheard him talking with the Father sometimes and they're like, ah, we, there's something there. Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus took another common Jewish prayer, and he upped the stakes on that one as well. He gave it a little upgrade. This time, it's with a prayer called the Kaddish. I want everybody to look up at me and say, Kaddish. God bless you. <laughs> but literally, like, God bless you is what the Kaddish is about. It is a blessing to God. It's a way of saying, God, you are blessed, and I want you to bless my life in the way that you see fit. Take a look at it with me. This is the Jewish Kaddish prayer. Magnified and sanctified be his great name in the world he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your life and during your days and during the life of all the house of Israel, speedily and in the near future. That's the Kaddish prayer. There are basically two elements of the Kaddish prayer, the, the Kaddish part where you say holy or the Hebrew word is kadosh, 
Holy be your name, O Lord. And then the second part is, do what you want. May your kingdom reign in my life and in my midst. Does this sound familiar? This sounds like something that we've heard before. Holy, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, but Jesus ups the stakes. He takes this prayer and he adds to it. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Jesus takes the Kaddish prayer, which is a me and God prayer, essentially, and he adds the us component. He makes it communal. He reminds us about our neighbor, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Absolutely. Your kingdom come, your will be done down here like it is up there. Then there's more us stuff. Give us our daily bread. Give us the things that we need. Forgive us our debts. We are sinful and we have debts and we need forgiveness. And when you do that, we are going to do that to the people around us. If you're not in community with people, you don't need to forgive others. There's nothing to forgive. Forgive us and we'll forgive them. Lead us not into temptation. The things that pull us away from you help us to resist them, help us to stay away from them. You'll notice that there is no me in the Lord's Prayer. Give me my daily bread. It is always plural. Our Father, give us, lead us. And also notice too, this is something you won't see from the screen, but when Jesus teaches them how to pray, they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he says, when you pray, say this. Not pray like this or take this into consideration. He says to them, essentially, pray these words. Say this exactly. And then he gives the Lord's Prayer. That's another thing that we don't necessarily do here in worship all the time. But again, just because it's something that we don't do often doesn't mean that it's not something that we shouldn't do. I know that a lot of times and people in different traditions have gotten away from the Lord's Prayer because it can, there's, there's different reasons that I've heard. It's, uh, it can become rote or uh, it can be robotic whenever there's a, a communal reading or even now when we, when we pray the Jesus Creed together, you may have noticed that we, there's not a lot of inflection. It's just more of like, oh, let's stay together and say this like this. I think somebody counted one time and said there are 16 pauses in the Lord's Prayer when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, pause. Who art in heaven, pause. Hallowed be your name, pause. And if, if you continue on, there's a lot of pauses. That can draw people's attention away. They can say, well, I don't want to just pray the same thing that everybody else is praying. And that's true. It can happen. It can seem like there's less heart in a prayer that you didn't come up with on your own. But I want to push back against that a little bit and say, maybe we rely a little bit too much on our hearts to be in the right place and our feelings when we come before God with our prayers and with our praises. Maybe praying the Lord's Prayer or the Jesus Creed or any other faithful expression that comes from Scripture is a good thing because it's not based on your heart. It's not based on your mood, how you're feeling at a particular moment. It's based on the truth of who God is and how we should respond to God. If you go to pray and you're having a great day and you're joyful and you're grateful and you're like, man, this is the best day ever. I'm going to pray. What's your prayer going to sound like? It's going to be very joyful. It's going to be very thankful. And that's a good thing. But maybe you leave something out. Maybe there's something that you're not going to consider. Let's say you spend all day hanging out with your best friend, Ron, 
and then you go to pray later on that day, who are the people in your life that you're going to pray for? Well, you're probably going to pray for Ron, which is good, because Ron is fresh in your mind, and you just hung out with Ron, but maybe there's other people that you are forgetting. That's one of the values of prayer like the Jesus Creed or the Lord's Prayer, is it kind of gives us what we need and not just what's in our mind. If we're having a bad day, if we're angry about something, that may result in us not praying at all. Do you see what I'm saying? If we let our hearts lead us, we're going to kind of get where we are, and that's what's going to inform our prayers. If we let Jesus say, this is what you should say. Lord, give us what we need. Lord, give us your forgiveness and let us forgive others. Lord, lead us away from the, the, the things that we keep falling into again and again and again, the things that we are tempted by. This can be a helpful thing. It keeps our prayers from being self-focused. And that's something that I would like to have more of in my life. With that in mind, I want to mention something that a lot of you already know about. There is a weekly opportunity in this church for you to develop your prayer life, your scriptural knowledge, your relationship with God, all of these things kind of wrapped into one. I've mentioned it before. There's a group that meets on Thursday nights in room 7 at 6.30, and they are dedicated to prayer. They are dedicated to praying through the scriptures and sharing those prayers with one another. I've been in that group a little bit. I've sat in. I've seen what they're doing. The people who have committed to being in that group said their lives have been transformed by it. Their relationship with the Lord has changed in indescribable ways. And if this is speaking to you, if this is something that you are able to come be a part of, it's not, it's not an invitation-only group. It's not a closed group. Every Thursday at 6.30 here in Room 7, uh, I'd encourage you to check that out. One final example of the Jesus upgrade uh, actually comes from Paul. And this is Paul's understanding of who Jesus is. But we return back to the Shema. Because the Apostle Paul, or if you want to go back farther to Saul of Tarsus, was this Pharisee. He was trained in the Jewish traditions. He knew the Shema. He prided himself on knowing the scriptures. And he was very anti-Jesus at first. But then he had this encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road. And he found that he was no longer uh, able to live a life of faithfulness that didn't have Jesus in it. He found that his understanding of who God was through the Jewish scriptures was an incomplete understanding in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul's writing to a church in a city that's filled with different pagan gods, and the question comes up in this church about whether or not it's okay to attend a party at a pagan temple or eat meat that has been sacrificed at a pagan temple, which would have been very, very common. But these Christians who have their life changed by Christ are now going, is this okay? Is this disrespectful to God? What do we do? And they write Paul, and they ask about this. And as he begins to give them his advice and his point of view on what maybe they should do or should not do, he cites the Shema. He says this, listen for the language of the Shema, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, in just these couple verses that Paul says. He says, for even though there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. Now listen, here's the upgrade. And there is but one Lord, and that's Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. For Paul, his theology changed when he encountered Christ. 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one, becomes, well, the Father is God, and the Lord is this Jesus Christ, this crucified Messiah who was raised again. That's the add-on. That's the upgrade. And this may have been one of the reasons that Paul got into so much trouble, not just with the Gentiles for preaching about Christ, but with the Jewish people too. They're saying, that does not fly. That can't be the case. And Paul says, I know, I'm right there with you. It doesn't make sense. And I wrestled with this before I came public with my faith for something like 10 years But now, I'm going to go on record, and I'm going to say, Jesus is the Lord. The Shema is incomplete without an understanding of Jesus being the Lord who we need to follow. Paul shares his developed understanding of how God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And what's interesting is that Paul does not jettison his Jewish identity or see Jesus as being in competition with Judaism But instead, it's a fuller understanding of who God is and what he was doing through Christ that all nations could come to him. And that's what I think it can and should do for us as well. Not to undermine the faith that we currently have or the good works that we are already doing, but to develop and elevate them because of the impact that Christ has on our lives. So when I get up here and I say, let's pray the Jesus Creed together. That's not to disregard the other spiritual disciplines that you have or any prayer rhythms that you're involved in or other scriptures that you are are keeping at the forefront of your mind or even wearing on your clothes. This is to say, let's, let's do this together. Let's develop our understanding. Let's see what God can do with this. And my understanding as I've prayed through and thought about the Jesus Creed is just what I'm sharing with you today. It's an upgrade. It's kind of a next-level thing. It can take your faith from private to public. It can take it from just me and God to us and God. From a general understanding of who you are as a follower of Christ to a more specific identity of what that means. From implied to intentional. And some of us are due for that upgrade. We're ready for it. We say, Lord... I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take this seriously. A couple weeks ago, in our Sunday 9 a.m. class, like I mentioned, I've been sharing videos of things that I picked up along the way. Two weeks ago, we got to listen to Michael Jr., who is a Christian stand-up comedian. He's a funny guy, and he gave this this great talk where um, he talks about setting goals and uh, what God is doing through you. And there was this quote and this question that we got to interact with. Michael Jr. said, Some of you have been practicing for a long time, and I'm here to tell you it's game time time to stop practicing. It's time to get off the bench and get in the game. We presented this question at 9 a.m. class. What does this mean for you? What does it mean that you've been practicing for a long time and it's time to get in the game? That's the question that I want you to share with the person next to you. I want you to interact with that question. What comes to mind? One specific way you think Jesus might be calling you to upgrade your relationship, something that you could do in your walk with him to take it to the next level. I'm going to put a timer on the screen just to keep things nice and contained. There's a little bit of like, let the Holy Spirit work here, but then there's a little bit of Jacob being a control freak and saying, let's keep it to seven minutes now. Uh, I encourage you to share with somebody next to you the, the answer to this question, but maybe spend more of your time praying together. Maybe keep the answer short, 
what it is that comes to mind, uh, and then pray together as a duo. Something we don't often do, again, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. 